show, everyone. Great to be with you, Paul George, Uncle Chad, Uncle Chad, and we got a man down. Two weeks in a row, man down. <laughs> Deacon uh, Adam Carter. Deacon. I think uh, Disneyland destroyed him. I don't know. If he's, he's still recovering. <laughs> Man down. That's what it does to all of us. Actually, uh, yeah, Adam's not here with us today. He actually, you know, people need to know this about Adam. He's a hustler, man. and uh, Like no other. Like no other. Um, and he started this basically, well, yeah, a new job. Yeah, um, it very much is a new job. Yeah, very much is. <laughs> but he does so many different things. So I think his schedule is a little wonky right now until he kind of figures it out. So we got a man down. He has dropped from three regular, three or four regular jobs during the week to about two now. So yeah, not bad. Not bad. Um, but yeah, so yeah. we miss him. So shout out to everyone. So thanks for listening in today on the show. Whether you're on the podcast, feel free to share it with anyone. iTunes, Google Play, uh, and thanks to everyone listening on the radio, KLFT Radio ninety point five here in Acadiana. Where we do live in Lafayette, Louisiana. <laughs> what a great place. Beautiful weather the, this last the end of the week. Has been uh, we weather. had horrible rain, and then all of a sudden it's like May, and it got cool, and it's sunny, oh, and it's amazing, it's like and 60s. the Bronco raffle's tomorrow. Bronco raffle is tomorrow. Which, Praise the Lord. I'm sure, Chad, you're excited because you, you've been in the background working on this with Adam and Marie, just this whole logistics of the Bronco raffle, and then the drawing is tomorrow and i say drawing because there was a saturday night live skit <laughs> with this guy named simon and he say did you ever know that one no so and he would say you know my name is simon and i like to do drawings <laughs> drawings so the drawing is tomorrow tomorrow we draw we officially draw for the bronco at 345 tomorrow but ticket sales stop at 330 so yeah. that's uh, that's the deadline for you yeah may 15th uh so it, it uh I hope one of my kids won it. I hope I hope for your sake they do too. I mean, if y'all pull the ticket and won, that would be amazing. Oh man, I would be happy. My chances very happy are, for you. are slim, but it's possible. You know, there's a possibility. Not the odds are not as bad as they could be. Right, I'll say that. Yeah. So Pretty anyway, um, you know, there is a chance that you can buy. Go to BroncoRaffle.com and yep. And, and if you're listening and you live in Acadiana or you live nearby, we are having a huge event at Rock and Bowl de Lafayette. Uh, which is in downtown Lafayette from 1 to 4, where we'll be raffling off the Bronco. You can buy tickets there. Uh, it's free to get in, free bowling, uh, food and drinks available, live music by Dyer County and Gerald Grunig and the Gentile Zydeco, which are two amazing bands, uh, both he from here in Lafayette. I was talking to Gerald this morning, and he actually has, in his band, he has a guy that's played with Elvis. Really? He has a saxophone player that's played with Elvis. Isn't that crazy? Yep. Imagine imagine that. Anyway, um, yeah, so come on by, and you could donate to Catholic Radio there and be entered to win several door prizes, including $1,000 cash. Boom. It's pretty awesome. All right, so uh, you have a have you seen. What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real, though? For real, though. Okay, Paul, let me ask you this. Yep. I'll start off with a question. Mm-hmm. Where is the weirdest place you've had a meal? The weirdest? Yeah. A random question. Place. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I don't Kinda, know if you have an answer. Uh, weirdest place I've had a meal. I've had or mo maybe most interesting. Most interesting place 
I've had a meal. Mm. Ah, that's a good one. That's a <laughs> okay, good one. I most... mean, I've been uh, like out in the woods. Right. Uh, you know, but probably the most interesting would be in Italy when uh, this little hole in the wall restaurant, no one obviously spoke English, mm-hmm. and I ended up ordering something really weird that I didn't know what it was. Okay. What if I told you that you could eat a pizza on a volcano? What? Not only that, the volcano cooked the pizza. Really? Must be a yes. small volcano. A little guy out in Guatemala, named David, cooks pizzas using volcanic lava at <laughs> 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. What? He's uh, 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit. It takes one second. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, he's done. I mean, you say, I want this, and he's, he's got it for you before you know it. That's nuts. Yeah, he's been doing that for a little while now, the, the little Guatemala's, Guatemala's Pacaya volcano. Uh, so it just must bubble. It hasn't erupted, obviously. Because, yeah, it's just uh, been just, just oozing, FYI, oozing if lava. It, if it erupts, you need to run. <laughs> <laughs> you probably, yeah, it cook you too. <laughs> I mean, your pizza business is going to go down from there if it erupts. Right. I didn't know Guatemalans did pizza. I think everyone in the world does pizza. I guess you're right. It's kind of one of those things that have just spread. Right. right. I mean, it's so convenient, so easy, and yeah. delicious. I think the weirdest place, I don't know if I have a weird place that I've eaten pizza, but I, I have in, not pizza, food, in Glacier with a group of Lebanese, a Lebanese family that ate with us and shared shared their meals with us, and they came, we were backpacking out there, so it was just us and them, me and me and Abigail, and she was pregnant for my little boy. And we, we hiked 15 miles out into the middle of Glacier National Park. Wow. And shared a meal with them, which was super cool. It was beautiful. There's something about, really interesting. Uh, you know, eating that's communal that uh, it just brings life, you know. And, I mean, the thing about us as Catholics is, like, everything revolves around food. But, really, we take that from the Last Supper, right? The Mass, right? It's, it's the most human thing that we can do mm-hmm. is eat and eat with people, not eat alone, right? And... But eat with people. It's communal. Mass is a communal prayer for for the faithful, right? They come and right. and worship God and celebrate together communally. Uh, actually, a lot of people don't realize that mass isn't this personal prayer. It's a communal prayer of right. the church to uh, to the Lord and and the Lord, you know, being present with us and the Last Supper and the presence of Christ, the bread, the wine. Right? It's all transformed, but. You know, we don't really think, oh, I'm going to a, a communal meal, but we're going to this communal prayer, and it's it's pretty um, pretty amazing. Yeah, that's what breaking bread does together. It does for us is like we it reminds us that we're not alone, you know? Like you, you have this community of believers and people who love the same thing you love, willing to worship and sacrifice and give of themselves to you and to God together. Like you, you're not in this life alone. And I think, I think... I mean, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think that's one of the great things that the Catholic, that, that people in the secular world uh, embrace that I think came from Catholic culture is just great food. Like, think about the great Catholic cultures of the world, things like Italy and the Hispanic cultures and the Cajun food, you know, like it comes really out of our Catholic faith. Like, there's the desire to break bread together and share and enjoy the meals that we're, we're having and sit for long meals and with family and talk and share memories and all these things, you know? And I think that has really come from our faith. Yeah. You know, I think one of the most simple things that we can do as humans and as families. So if you say, you know, as a parent, I don't really know with my kids and, you know, it's it's hard and, you know, how do you parent or like 
How do you have family? Like the most simple thing to be to get back to is just eating together, like having meals together around the table. You don't realize how much life and formation and interaction just happens around the dinner table where mm-hmm. you eat, you talk, you fight, you resolve, you discuss, you pray, you do everything around that table, right? Like, and one of the things that when we got married, um, Gretchen and I, was that we always said, we're going to have family dinner. You know, we're going to have dinner. We're going to sit down as chaotic as it is, as little as the kids are, and they just don't even know what it's like to sit down to ha- however old they get and they're busy. You know, even now their kids are older. It's like, okay, hey, on this night, everyone's at dinner. So, mm-hmm. you know, don't make plans. So that, that we continue just to have that that interaction and that prayer time, that discussion time, that arguing time, just the whole thing, right? And this is the beauty of what it means to be people of faith, is to to live life together, to, to eat together, to interact together, to pour into each other, uh, to be in a relationship with one another. And this is what it means to be Christian, to be Catholic. Like, it it makes going to Mass, It there's a connection. I don't know if you know, people really think about that, but like, for my family, my kids, it's like going to Mass... And eating dinner as a family, it's like, oh, there is a connection mm. in a sense that faith is shared at both things, right? And if you could sit down for an hour and have a meal as a family, you could sit for an hour and go to mass. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I uh, Fundamentally, like breaking bread is a sign that you are willing to be family with the people that you're breaking bread with, you know? And I think sometimes parents will feel like their kids are strangers in a sense. And right. I'll, I'll get around to my point. There's a there was a there was a study uh, by a psychologist I was I was listening to recently him talk about it and he studies strangers like interactions with strangers and how to break the that little wall that there is between you being a stranger and you being a friend hmm. or a person that you know and what he would do was he would have these dinner parties during COVID like when everybody was shut down he would just cook meals for strangers he would he would invite ten strangers or so over to his house and study how to break that wall. Like how do I break the wall between me being able to talk to you and engaging discussion and how to, um, yeah, and it being awkward. And one of the things he would do was invite them to help him make the meal. Hmm. I think that's a really interesting way. It's like putting people to work and working together breaks the wall of awkward conversation or like the awkward small talk and you can really get into the discussion. And And he found that was the big thing in meals that really helped him help the meal go way better. Cooking was when together. he would invite eating them together. into that and then eating together. Yeah, because it's a real sign that you become something more than just friends. You become something or more than just people who know each other. Like you're sharing a meal together. Right. It's real familial. It's like a family. Yeah. That was a cool insight. Yeah, one of the things that, you know, we had talked about um, just sort of this flow of like, you know, evangelization and discipleship. Okay. Like, Mm -hmm. so we're on this topic, just follow me here. There's sort of levels of moving people, you know, say you meet someone out in the street or in your neighborhood, you know, there's a comfort of like, Oh, the front yard. Right. Right. And then you invite them into the living room. And then there's that next level of sort of, Hey, and then you invite them into the kitchen and there's this sort of flow, just very human. Right. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you're, you're eating, drinking, together and sitting down for a meal and that's where life is shared and so 
a lot of times what we want to do is just say, hey, come eat with us and we're your complete strangers. But there is a sort of a, this relationship building of yeah. like, hey, the front yard to the living room to the kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. And this is what Jesus did. You know, he didn't have the Last Supper the first day of his ministry. Right. Right? Like it, there was this relationship building with the disciples, this growth. The living room happened a lot. Mm-hmm. And then sort of around the kitchen table. And and then he he commissioned them to do the same, you know. And this is what we do as families. Like I can tell you, particularly for me coming from a divorced home, like so, you know, we we ate dinner. Obviously, I ate, but we didn't obviously have dinner as a family once my parents divorced. And so I didn't always have that. So, truth be told, like when we had a family, even little kids, like having family dinner, like was just kind of weird and awkward for me. You know, I was much more comfortable eating by myself, which is weird or pulling out a TV tray and watching, you know, like, you know, just just kind of having a lot of distractions. Mm -hmm. And it took me time to learn how to have dinner with people in my family. Of course, when your kids are small, you want to throw them through a window because (laughs) they're not eating. And uh, but, you know, it's just it's just the whole it's the whole dynamic of being able to be yourself and authentic and and living transparently and you do that around the table and you learn to do it and it's messy and it's not always easy and sometimes there's great conversations and sometimes there's fights and sometimes there's you know silence sometimes you know there's a lot of noise mm-hmm. and it's just what it means to be human but that is life yeah that's life and it always starts with a prayer you know mm-hmm. and and that's that's the beauty of it and you know one of the things that we do around the table is not you know we start with prayer we eat and you know it is chaos you know with mm-hmm. with seven of us around a table but we always go around and say you know what was you know your high from the day and your low from the day we at least do that so everyone gets an opportunity to say what what was great that happened and what was sad and then you get a little glimpse into people's life and and I got to answer that question too you know so it's not right. like I'm void of that question so you know, if my kids hear me say, man, you know, it was just so great. The weather it was beautiful. I was in a great mood and work just stunk today. You know, <laughs> I'm really struggling. Like, like they, they see a, a real, oh, beautiful. a real person, a real I love that. dad just being like honest about life instead of just saying, you know, everything's great. You know, don't worry about it, kids. You got a meal in front of you. No, sometimes it's not <laughs> great. Sometimes it really does suck. And it helps them to know that it's okay that they, they've had days that, that are horrible and bad and not easy. And that's so good. I, I remember I heard a couple talk about how they would, uh, they were an older couple, and they would talk about how when their kids, when they were younger and their kids were younger, they would, if the, if the wife knew that the dad was having a bad day, she would go and gather all the kids, be like, hey, look, dad's having a bad day. Mm-hmm. So don't be mean to your dad today <laughs> or try your best not to be mean to your dad to try not to add to any more stress you know to he's just got a rough week this week and i mean i i love that uh i think it'd be also good for the dad to share like hey man i'm having a rough week this week or hey kids and that's that's a that's a good point because you know the we we can protect the others say hey kids you know mom's really struggling she's sick Let, let's kind of keep it quiet or whatever and that's one thing but it's also another thing for mom or dad to be like, yeah, like I was just, this has just been rough. You know, mm-hmm. I just want to let you guys know, like, you know, praying, but like, yeah, like I just don't have it perfect today. And, you know, and, and it just, that authenticity, that transparency, um, it, 
it teaches the whole family not to hide mm -hmm. your emotion. Your your when we hide, we go into shame. You know, we're, we're shameful for for our joys and our sorrows, and we don't want to share it. And what what shame does is it distances us from relationship, right? But when mm -hmm. when we can just all be transparent and authentic in our relationships and interactions, particularly as a family, then then there's nothing to hide, right? We're not like hiding from anything. And that's that's super important. And it's important for us to practice that in our relationships with our friends um, as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things, I mean, it, we see that in Genesis, right? Like Genesis, at the end of chapter two, uh, we see Adam and Eve before each other naked, but not ashamed. And that's, I mean, that's what it is, right? Just like this complete vulnerability. Like you see everything about me, good, whatever. And you still, I'm still loved and I, I am okay with still being loved. Yep. All right. So we're going to take a break. Look, when we come back, I got a weird Catholic stuff that, that's, yes. um, and, and we're talking about what do you do when you got a man down? All right. We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks again for listening to the show, being a part of it. Feel free to share it and uh, whatever you got to do. So it's great in studio with Chad Bayro, a.k.a. Uncle Chad, Dad Chad, Dad as, Chad. as well. Okay, so I got, I got two things. I'll let you choose, okay? <laughs> okay. Do you want to know what to do when you have a man down or do you want weird Catholic stuff first? Which one do you oh, want? Oh, my gosh. Okay, I think I want to go weird Catholic stuff because I, I would like, I want the other one more. So okay. I think weird Catholic stuff first. Okay, so to, in, in order to start weird Catholic stuff. Weird Catholic stuff! There it is. Okay, so I actually stole this from Father Sibley who started this weird Catholic stuff. So when we had, when we did the show together, it was the Padre and Paul show. And look, was, he's so strange and I love it. <laughs> But so I was looking back on one of his weird Catholic stuff things, and he actually has a video on Facebook. And so I watched it, and this one cracked me up. Okay, so you have ducks. <laughs> yes. Okay. Do you have chickens? No chickens. But you have eggs. Not yet. Okay. So, I do have eggs. But ducks are chickens. So, um, so in Spain, you can walk the what they call the Camino, which is you know the walk of you know Saint James, and it's this beautiful month long walk, or you can bike it for two weeks. You know, it's a pilgrimage. And little towns, they have churches, and, and you stop along the way. About a thousand years ago, this one pilgrim uh, was walking, and he stayed at his home. And this young girl was there who, Father says, you know, she wasn't very virtuous and liked the young man and, and came on to him. And he rejected her because he wanted to be pious and holy and obviously was on the journey to go to, you know, to do this, to, to grow closer to Christ. So she put a goblet in his backpack like a gold goblet and framed him the next day and so he was sentenced to death uh, along the way 
And oh. so they went and they, they hung him and the parents were with him and they were shamed and then they came back the next day. I'm making a long story short because I want to get to the, what's weird about it. Uh, and he wasn't dead. And so they went to the magistrate's home and the magistrate was like, I don't believe it. That's silly. He goes, you know, if he's really not dead and he had a chicken and a rooster on his plate that he was eat, like he was about to eat, you know, cooked. <laughs> Is it, this is what's strange. He goes, okay, okay. Um, if he's not dead, like the miracle would be these chickens will get up and start dancing. And the tale says that they actually did. They got up and started dancing. You can read about this. Oh my gosh. So a rooster and a chicken uh, got up and started <laughs> dancing <laughs> on his plate. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the boy was alive. Oh, and my goodness. And so they, they released him. They set him free, let him go. Well, if you go to that little church in that town now, there is still a rooster and a chicken that's like they, they keep breeding, you know, from that original chicken and rooster. And so there's like great, 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 great oh grand, grand chickens. Grand chickens. <laughs> that are still at the church today. So you can go to Spain. Now, this uh, what is you the, doing this weekend? Man, the, I'm going dancing with my grand chickens. My grand chickens. This is the type of stuff that uh, is <laughs> so funny. And Father Sibley knows it. He knows this stuff. So shout How out to him. How do you find out these stories? Man, I guess, you, well, he lived in Italy for a time, right? So if you do walk the Camino, you would stop at these churches and they would, oh, you know. Oh, that's what it is. There would be stories or there would be statues and, you know, like history of this church or whatever. And so it's still there. Uh, I forget the name of the church because it's in, in Spanish, but... Um, would you walk the Camino? I would love to. I would love to, too. Abigail, me and my wife, Abigail, she would she would die. She would love to do that. Yeah. Um, There's so many different routes, too. There's, I mean, if you guys have never looked up the, the Camino, or the, it's the Camino de Santiago is the full name of it. Yeah. And there's there's a ton of different routes to get to the same place. So check it out. It's it's St. James Pilgrimage to to Spain. Right. Um, the so I had friends that went as a family, and they biked it. So you okay. could rent bikes, and you could do it over two weeks. Gotcha. Because if you walk it, it takes about a month. Mm-hmm. Which, hey babe, I'm uh, going walk the Camino. I'll be back in a month. <laughs> hey employer. Hey boss. <laughs> yeah. So all all this vacation time I saved up. Yeah, a lot of people who actually walk the Camino are either young you know they, mm-hmm. they haven't really started their career or family or they're retired you know so they have the time and, and can do it so it's harder for like guys like us right kind of in this season but it is something i want to do i mean you guys could take two weeks bike it and put oh, li- for little sure. john in a in i would a love to back of a bike it's well, one it's beautiful and it's super affordable like as far as i mean the, the airline fare is going to be expensive but like doing the thing, they have all the restaurants along the way have pilgrims meals that are like way cheaper. I mean, it's like, you know, a couple bucks to eat dinner, to eat lunch, to eat breakfast. And they're all friendly and they have all these little places to stay that are really cheap. It's just, it's, it's worth looking into if it's something that you are able to do. Uh, even if you want to take a shorter route, there's several routes that are like the, the England route and all these little routes that are way shorter and will take you a couple weeks to walk. So, yeah. Okay. You had another. You had another. So thing. that's I weird Catholic stuff. And here's the thing: is like I want to, I need to find out more information about this chicken thing because <laughs> it's just it's just killing me. It is bizarre. It is it is so bizarre. You know. Okay. Um. But 
but it's crazy. Okay, so what do you do when you have a man down? Okay, so Adam's down. Um, but Poor Adam. This is going to tie into everything because we see in the reading today and in the book of Acts sort of uh, what happens, not sort of what happens, what actually happens, and Judas is gone, right? So he betrays Jesus. See you, bud. The chickens didn't dance out. for so him, unfortunately. 12 are down to 11. What do you do? They have a man down, right? And here's what's interesting. I want to get into this a little bit today because... Um, I think it's something that uh, we overlook, not only as a church, but even as individuals. So actually, Peter and the disciples got together, and they prayed about who to replace Judas with. Now, this sounds like very sort of um, obvious thing to do, right? Right. Uh, they discerned who was to take the place of Judas, the betrayer. And there were two choices, Right, uh, so we know the story in the book of Acts. Um, uh, so today is the we're actually celebrating the the feast of Saint Matthias, yes. right? Who obviously got chosen. So there was Joseph called Bersabbas, um, who was also known as Justus and Matthias. Okay, so obviously both of them were followers of Jesus. They didn't just like get picked out of. You know, they didn't sit their resume in on LinkedIn and were like, oh, these are two good <laughs> candidates. There were a lot of followers of Jesus. There were a lot of disciples of Jesus who followed him along with the apostles. Mm -hmm. But the 12 were, you know, the 12, right? The, right. the closest, most intimate, um, the apostles. And so they were, you know, one down, we, we need 12. You know, 12 is significant in a lot of ways. One is, is it... 12 fulfilled their team. Mm -hmm. You know, one, one was missing. Hey, we need a replacement. It's like, hey, you know, your receiver, your quarterback's going. We need some, we need, you know, we're not going to play with 11. We got to play with 12 too. 12 uh, was a significant number mm -hmm. signifying, the, you know, the 12 tribes, right? Jesus chose 12, you yeah. know, and that, what, what did that mean? In, in a lot of ways, some theologians say that the 12 meant that it represented the whole world, you know, a, that 12 meant, it was to disperse to the globe, to the whole world, right? Mm -hmm. That that the kingdom of God was to all nations, which he would obviously send them to all nations. So mm -hmm. 12 was significant for them, and to replace Judas was significant. It wasn't just, hey, uh, we're missing a buddy, let's find another buddy. This was specific for the mission, you know? And so they prayed. They actually prayed and discerned who would be next. Now it says they, they cast lots, but the... That whole process of casting lots was part of the discernment. Lord, where these lots fall, show us who is to replace Judas. And the lots fell on Matthias. And this this reading is, is really important. And I said this a few weeks ago. Like, if you have time right now in your life, which you should make, is just start reading the Book of Acts because we're in the season of Easter, and the next week we're we're coming to Pentecost, and the whole birth of the church is unfolding in Acts. You know, so the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, follow Jesus and the writings about Jesus and the words of Jesus and the interactions with Jesus and the the startup of the disciples and pouring into them and the and and the gospel, the the good news. And then Acts, you know, is Jesus dies, right? You know, and then mm -hmm. there's ascension. And then Acts is the startup of the church. What did the early church look like? Like what do we know about it? Acts is, is that book that kind of gives us a glimpse into the good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh yeah, of it, right? 
but it shows us that the church existed. It was alive. It had structure or started to, and the apostles were a part of that. And so one of the things that was already integral in the way that they made decisions was to actual, actually pray and to discern the decision. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you don't see often with people today or within the church oftentimes. I've been in many consulting staff meetings where in a church, <laughs> like in a church. Yeah. And no one prayed. Like they didn't start with the close with a prayer. Uh, they didn't discern the decision or the direction they God was calling them to go or do or minister. Uh, and if there was a prayer, it was like an Our Father, Hail Mary, which is good, but it wasn't like, hey, let's like really pray about this. And it's really interesting. And I'm not saying that's always been the case. There have been times and experience I've had there. It's been just the opposite. But it's it's more uncommon than it is common. Mm-hmm. And it is more uncommon than common in people's lives, like praying about decisions or moves or jobs or vocations or career or money or parenting or all those things like to really discern decisions to go to the Lord and ask the question and pray about it and be okay with the uncomfortable of not knowing until God reveals. Mm. Yeah. One of the things that stuck out to me, I mean, I'll tie this back to discernment, but it stuck out to me that uh, in this reading that they really act as one body, you know, like it's the 12 apostles and they intend to have there's 11 at the moment, but they intend to have 12 and they go in they go in as a church, as one body, to make the decision together to serve the needs of the church. It's not divisive. It's not agenda-driven or whatever. They go in, they bring all of their desires, all their passions, what they long to see, and then they they pray and, and ask for the Holy Spirit to fill up their thoughts, their wisdom, their mind, so that they can make the the decision of in accordance with God's will. And I think... Um, as we, especially our families, are these little domestic churches, as what St. John Paul II talks about, right? Or Vatican II talks about. Right. Um, and in our prayer and our discernment, our families like ought to look the same way. Like we, not that you're replacing children or things like that, but um, as you head into the next phases of life, you, you sit down with your spouse and you pray together. And you say, okay, okay, honey, where are we going? Where do you want to go? Um, what where is God drawing us to? And it's if if the disciples didn't know Jesus, if the apostles didn't know Jesus, they might have had a much harder time doing that. But they cultivated their own prayer lives. They at the end of that Acts chapter two, like Pentecost. Well, we're not in Pentecost yet, but um, we're Ascension Thursday, Sunday, whatever's going on right now. And at the end of Acts chapter two, they give us a little bit of a glimpse into how they continue to cultivate their discernment and their, their prayer life so that they can continue to make good decisions. And what it tells us is that it says the apostles went on, or the disciples went on to live the communal life, to listen and, and study the apostles' teachings, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. Hmm. They committed to those four things. Those four things. And that, that is what cultivated their ability to discern, right. to, to further the church, to go on and... and Spread so the gospel. What were the four? It was a communal life. Communal life. So they committed themselves to communal life, the teaching of the apostles, teaching of the apostles, the breaking of the bread, breaking and the prayer. Bread and prayer. Okay, so let's just take that because we've been kind of weaving this in even before we got here. The communal life is what we talked about, like this idea that we're community, we're family. 
you know, mm-hmm. uh, the breaking of the bread. Uh, the, that's two things. That's that's life and dinner and the table, right? And it's and it's also mass. Yes, yeah, the sacrifice too, it's the just, offering or worship. Yeah. So so those those two, right? So a lot of times, you know, that communal piece is huge because I think we we live in this culture of isolation. You know, and I was just thinking about this even in my own life. It's like, man, it's time to restart a, a couples group for myself and Gretchen and, and a guy's mm-hmm. group for me. Like that communal life is really, really important. You know, the breaking of the bread, obviously mass and sacrifice and prayer, but but the 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 breaking of the bread with people around the yeah. table, right? Um, teaching of the apostles, that's the church. It's following Christ and his church, right? The, it, no matter no matter what. Yeah, and studying and, and being curious and, and wondering about who God is. Yeah, and what was the fourth one? Prayer. And prayer. And that's the the prayer and discernment, and and you see that, and I think one of the biggest questions I get oftentimes from people is like, how do you discern decisions? You know, it's like the reason you're you're probably asking that is because you you've never have right, so <laughs> no one's ever taught you. You've never really kind of, you know, you've just made a decision what you felt was good or whatever in the moment, and that could have been a good decision or not. It doesn't really matter in a sense, but to really discern and pray is to, is to ask the Lord to be a part of the decisions that you make, you know? And when you're married, it's really important to learn how to discern together, to pray together and discern decisions together, because what's not good for one is not good for either. So you have to really be unified in praying about getting a house or a move or a job or kids or whatever, because if you're not unified in that discernment, then it just causes division. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, well, God told me to do this, and and she's like, well, God didn't tell me, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So if you're not discerning together, then it causes a little bit more conflict and division than than anything. Yeah, more often than not, um, what you agree on as a couple will be God's will. More often than not, if if you're praying about it and discerning it together, and really feel strongly together about this decision, um, I think you can feel confident. And, and pursuing that. And, you know, we have all kinds of things that get in the way of our discernment, but um, I think I think it might be useful to use an example of what discernment looks like, maybe. Right. I think for me, I mean, I'm, in a, youth, I'm a youth minister right now, and discerning becoming a youth minister was a difficult task for me because um, I knew that somewhere deep down I kind of wanted to do it, and I, God felt called, but I had all these fears in the way, uh, namely that I didn't know what I was doing. So... Um, that was the biggest. That was the biggest thing. I thought I was jumping into something I didn't know, and so as I prayed over several months um, about accepting a position as a youth minister, God reminded me of all those little moments in prayer when I felt Him calling me to serve the church, um, when He stirred up stirred up that that desire and that passion to to love His people, and and then He allowed me to see the fears and whether they were justified or not. So like, uh, am I am I scared to pursue this because I feel it will lead me into sin or am I scared to pursue this because I'm, I'm afraid that I won't be capable and I'm not good enough. Right. And those are two very different fears. Right. One, I mean, if, if I'm afraid that I might lead myself into sin, I think that might be, I might be more cautious about pursuing that. Right. But if I'm afraid that I'm not capable, well, God does all sorts of things to people that aren't capable. Like Peter certainly was not capable of leading a church, right. you know, like he, <laughs> he was he betrayed as he betrayed Jesus in the same way that Judas betrayed Jesus, you know? Right. Like left him, uh disowned him, didn't you know, didn't claim him anymore. 
But Jesus still chose him. Jesus still chose him over and over and over again to lead the church and and glor- and helped him glorify the church to become what it is today. Yep. Yep. So it's interesting in the in this uh in this book um in the book of Acts, you know, chapter 1 verse 15, we see this reading for the feast day of St. Matthias, you know. It says, Brothers and sisters, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who was the guide for those who arrested Jesus. Judas was numbered among us and was allotted to share in this ministry, right? Uh, Therefore, it is necessary that one of the men who accompanied us the whole time, so we know that that Matthias was, was already a follower, the Lord Jesus came and went among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, uh, become with us a witness to his resurrection. They're, they're inviting him to be a, an apostle. This is what an apostle is, a witness to his <laughs> resurrection. Um, so they proposed to, uh, as I said, uh, Matthias and Bersabbas. Um, um, so you know, Lord, uh, the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place uh, in this apostolic ministry. Okay, so... This wasn't like the other guy wasn't called to be a follower of Jesus or a disciple. They were praying specifically for that apostolic seat, mm-hmm. the seat of the, the the holy the magisterium, right? Like the the apostles' seat, the uh, which you know today would be you know our magisterium, you yeah, know, the pope, the cardinals, right? You know, the apostles, the. Um, so they gave lots to them and fell upon Matthias. So, you know, they knew the need and discernment. Like we know what is our need? Like what what is the void? What are we praying about? And they knew the need uh, and they prayed. They asked God to show them. So, so you pray and you ask God to be a part of the decision. And then you kind of wait and just ask God for some type of sign or peace or, you know, it might not be you know, chickens dancing on a plate, <laughs> right, to tie it all together. But it, it might be just peace in a certain mm-hmm. direction. It might be doors closed when you thought, oh, they would be opening. And it's like, no, it's trusting that the Lord's going to show you. And that's what discernment is, asking God to be a part of your decision-making process. Right, which is, I mean, it it changes the game, really. You you could stop looking at, like, you could stop looking back with regret, you know, when you really, when you sincerely invite him in and, and know that you did what you could to invite him in. Right. It's not making the perfect decision no. because sometimes it's human. Like we might make uh, a decision and, and we're like, oh, it didn't pan out the way I thought. It's like, well, then you just pray about, you know, the next decision, you know, because if you're, if your heart's good intended and you're asking God to be a part of your decisions then he's going to bless your decisions. Yeah, and if, if it's a, the wrong job. You know, it's like not what you thought it was going to be. Then you just pray about what's next, you know, and, and just continue to follow the Lord, ask him to be a part of it. So it's not like we're going to like this magic eight ball, you know, right. that, that God's like a magic eight ball. And he's like, just shows us the sign, you know, from the sky. It It's just inviting the Lord to be a part of our life, our decision, our prayer and following the peace of Jesus in our decisions. Right. Some of those decisions are bigger or harder than others. Some are very mm-hmm. simple, like. I don't know if Jesus cares about what color shoes you buy. Just go with the ones you like, you know? 
um, if you don't have the money for it, the decision is don't buy it, right? Like wisdom can drive your decision, like knowledge and wisdom, you know, like mm-hmm. do I buy in your car if I can't afford it? Well, wisdom would say no, like why go into debt? So you can use wisdom to make decisions that are very, you know, practical on easy things. But when it's like, do I marry this person? What what vocation am I called to? Do we move? Do we buy a house? Do we go to this school? Do we homeschool? Do we whatever? Those types of decisions of just kind of getting a sense of what, what you're inviting into and the Lord's moving you into take some time and prayer, and some decisions take longer than others. Yeah, sometimes the sign that God's get, God gives you is your own knowledge, <laughs> your own right. your own wisdom. Um, but God probably certain, I mean, certainly God does not want you to not act, you know, like God doesn't want you to stay frozen in a period of discernment forever, you know, like there's, there's a prudent amount of time to make that decision and not stay stuck. Yeah. And sometimes you you do have to have a timeline on your decision. You can't just prolong it forever. And I think that's one of the big mistakes is that we just are paralyzed and we just push the decision further and further and we never make a decision the other part of discernment is seeking counsel of others, seeking mm-hmm. godly wisdom and godly counsel from others. So we're not making a decision in an echo chamber where we're just hearing our voice and our thoughts, right? Where we go to others who are prayerful and wise and say, what are your thoughts about this? Mm-hmm. What do you think I should do? And ask them questions. They would have a different perspective uh, that may or may not align with you or help you see it from a different angle. So you're like, oh, I never really thought about that. Or that makes sense. Or, that feels good to hear, yada, yada. And I know for us, for a lot of decisions, big decisions in particular that we've made, um, that's been crucial for us is seeking godly wisdom and counsel from others. You know, do we move? Do we? Is this a good fit? Is this job, this, this sort of kind of thing so that's really important and that goes back to that communal piece where we invite community to be a part of our life not everyone but people that we can really be transparent with yeah i think it's i think it's important to sit and identify like who are your mentors and who are the people that you seek counsel from right like you probably ought to have some i know i have several people that i look to that are that are older than me and have done the work that i want to do or lived the kind of life that i want to live and and I seek them often for for many big decisions. And the good news is that God will God will still use your bad decisions and your mistakes and your errors to for your salvation. Like those, even though it might not be the decision you think that was the best decision, God will transform your heart and convert you and use that suffering of the bad decision to to transform you and, and to bring you closer to himself. So any decision is, can be useful. Absolutely. Okay. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to mention a very important part of this that I didn't get to say. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. 
Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you again for listening in. Uh, man, what an interesting show. We got a man down, but you know, we're surviving. We're going to cast lots after this episode, so if any of you guys are interested and have been following Paul George from the beginning, we might choose you to replace Deacon Adam Cook. <laughs> <laughs> what does lots look like? What does casting lots look like? I've heard it compared to dice. Yeah, I've heard that. Um, but I don't know. Like you throw a seven and then you choose Matthias, you throw a five. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are like, well, were they like gambling? Like, hey, this is sort of weird. Like we flip a coin, you know, if it's heads, it's Matthias. If it's tails, it's uh, Savas. It's like, no, 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 no. What, what we're getting at with like discernment is that there is a part of discernment is like, okay, Lord, give us, give me a sign. Give, give us a sign. And that that could be like the lots falling on a certain person. It could be you know, someone walking up to you and not knowing what you're praying about and saying exactly what you needed to hear, Mm -hmm. right? Like God can use people or things or, you know, signs or or peace to guide us and lead us, you know? So we do believe in a God of miracles and a God that speaks to us. So, you know, I've heard crazy stories of, you know, people praying and, and getting a sign or direction or, you know, whatever. Right. I mean, it's it's that's a very very common thing. And so when they're casting lots, it's it's you know in a way of you know God, you show us the sign. Like we're not gonna we're not gonna decide. You know, you yeah. you are right. I think I think that's that what lots is getting at. Yeah, seemingly something seemingly random that allows God in. Where you're not you're not intervening as a human. You know, you're not trying to not trying to weigh the scales at all. Yeah, you just you're allowing God to do his thing. And getting out of the way. Yeah, I'll give you an Best example. Idea. A crazy example that happened in okay. our life. Okay, so we were living in Atlanta, Georgia, and we uh, were praying with a priest friend of ours who was in Homa Thibodeau Diocese, which is the second smallest diocese in the country. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. About moving there and starting a ministry and doing evangelization work, okay? This is in 2004, okay? And... So we're going to pray, and it's like, this sounds great. It could be good, but, Lord, this is way too big of a risk and a move for us to just pack up from a, a great job and great community we had in Atlanta. You know, obviously there was some attraction to to this this new ministry, but we, there was just a lot of unknowns, like a ton, not enough practical things to kind of say, yes, let's do this. So we're praying, and, you know, I'm, I'm talking to a priest friend of mine, and I finally just said, look, this all sounds well and good, but the only way that this is going to happen and I'm going to move is if this bishop gets transferred to that diocese. <laughs> now, we have 250 dioceses in our country yeah, around, okay? So, the, like, the odds of, like, that specific bishop getting transferred to Homa Thibodeau was, like, zero to zero, mm-hmm. right? And so a few weeks later, I'm traveling, I'm in a hotel, my phone rings, and Father Mark says, hey, are you sitting down? I was like, why? He says, well, Bishop Sam Jacobs, who was the Bishop in Alexandria, Louisiana, got transferred to Homa Thibodeau. That was the (laughs) Bishop that I told him that the only way that this would work is if he was there. And I was just like, I called Gretchen. I was like, "Um, you're kind of not going to believe this, (laughs) 
but I cast it a lot and the lot fell. Like it was like the sign was like so clear mm. and obvious. Like it was like, like what are the chance? So that began to kind of put some pieces together and it began to all kind of come together for, you know, this really big decision for us because we went down there, started something new, started a nonprofit. Like it was just this, this kind of crazy season where God was just leading everything. But those types of things have happened. They do happen. They don't always happen, but they do. They do happen often enough that I think you can, I think you can confidently ask God for those, those things and that sureness. I mean, and, and here's the thing. When I was discerning, uh, I was discerning the priesthood for some time when I was, when I just became a Catholic, mm-hmm. I remember sitting in a, like a little discernment group and uh father saying, you just got to call a duck a duck. That's what he said. <laughs> so if it looks like a duck, it smells like a duck, it waddles like a duck, it's, it's a, a duck. duck. And I think that's how discernment is often. It's like, dude, how many signs do you need? And then you saw Abigail and you're like, there's my duck. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, she looks like a duck. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and now y'all have ducks. <laughs> we do have ducks now. You're yeah, right. We're on a, on a duck kick. You know, when there was a student who you know well, um, on campus and he was praying about a vocation and he started feeling called to the priesthood and started feeling specifically called to the Jesuits. He, he had gone to a Jesuit high school, but it was kind of out of the blue, like priesthood Jesuit. And if you knew this student, like he kind of came in, he, he had like a tough past, you know, and like had a conversion and, and uh, a lot of the girls liked him, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know who I'm talking about, I right? Do. Okay. So he's praying like, Lord, do I do, the Jesuits, like, are you calling me there? Cause that's a commitment. You're entering into a religious order and that's a long, long process. Right. And so he looks across the room or the church and there's a guy with a t-shirt on and he looks across and it says Jesuit. Mm. So he's like, what? So he, he's just like, okay, I'm going to walk closer, make sure I see what I'm seeing, you know? Like I pray for a sign and there it was, and I'm laughing because it gets even better. So as he walked closer, the shirt that he thought said Jesuit was actually a Nike shirt and it said, just do it. <laughs> you, you know this story? Yeah. yeah. No, I don't actually. I haven't heard him. He hadn't told me. Yeah. that. And so when he, when he uh, got closer and it said, just do it, he said, just something hit him in prayer. Like that was the sign that he needed. It wasn't so much like the shirt. It was like literally like the the hinge pin to just just do it. And what he thought was Jesuit flipped to just do it. And it it was kind of one of those little moments. It wasn't the deciding factor, but mm-hmm. it was like a little piece of like this nudge forward. And I always thought that story was so funny. But for him, where I'm looking at it is like that's kind of silly. He looked at it as a moment where it was like I really felt like the Lord was speaking to me. Yeah, I had, a, I had a friend of mine, you know, you also know him well, and he was discerning a specific community or a specific religious order, and he had he had just become Catholic. I mean, maybe a year, and I mean, he hadn't, he hadn't converted. He was always Catholic, I suppose, but um, just started going back to church for a year and started discerning religious life and praying every day and whatever else, and he was sitting in a Barnes & Noble, which if you know the guy, if you knew him before this discernment process, you'd be shocked as it was that he was in a Barnes and Noble, but he's sitting in a Barnes and Noble reading a book and a woman passes by him and hands him a note and he's in the middle of this discernment process and it has the website of that religious order. He's never seen this woman in his life, still hasn't seen her, 
And she handed it to him and he opened it up and it said the website of that specific religious order that he had been discerning for some time. And he was like, okay, okay, Lord, I get it. You want me to go there? It was wild. That's a crazy yeah. story. Yeah. Like, yeah, that is crazy. You have to be kidding me. Um, Good stuff. All about discernment today, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I just want to encourage people, like, in a sense of, in a lot of ways, like what we've talking, been talking about today is, like, just making God, you know, a part of, you know, the everyday decisions, you know, from around the dinner table to your small decisions to your big decisions and allowing the Lord to be part of it. Like the apostles did is praying, you know, about their man down and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, filling that, that 12th seat. Um, It's just allowing the Lord to be a part of your decisions, big or small. And if you don't know how to do that, you know, practice, you know, that's all, that's all you do. Yeah. Practice by teaching your kids how to do it. Yeah. If you got kids like around the dinner table is a perfect time to say, Hey, you know what you have to make a decision like you can't play all the sports so what sports you're going to play and invite your kid to pray at the dinner table about it and uh yeah see what god says pray together and uh and learn how to discern learn how to discern about teaching your kids that's one of the think the underrated part about having kids is like you get to learn a bunch just because you want to teach them certain things right totally Absolutely. Well, this is great, man. Uh, great show. Uh, we miss Adam. Hopefully he'll be back next week. Feel free to share the show on podcast and uh, invite people to be a part of it. Thanks to KLFT Radio. And shout out to my beautiful wife, Gretchen. It's her birthday today. Oh, and happy birthday, my Gretchen. my daughter, Marie, whose birthday was yesterday. Um, and so fun times in the George home. Uh, <laughs> go to discovertheartofliving.com for any information. And last chance to get your Bronco ticket. Go to broncoraffle.com for a chance to win. All right. Talk to you later. Be back next week. God bless.